everybody. Welcome to the Edvolution Podcast, where we question what makes our life truly ours. I'm Shereen Jaffer, and I'm very excited to introduce you to some incredible people with fascinating stories. Before we get into our conversation today, I want to say how incredible it has been over these past few weeks meeting these very real people with real brave stories. Uh, Thank you to all our guests who have spent the time with us. Uh, Thank you all, all the listeners out there that have tuned in and listened and emailed me and shared your thoughts. Uh, If you and I haven't talked yet, please reach out. My email is available at shereen at edvo.com. And if you've enjoyed listening and tuning in these past few weeks, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Let's raise awareness for these stories that we're putting out there and for anyone who needs to hear them during this time. Thank you all. And now let's get, get back to the show. I've got Justin Welsh here with me, who I was actually introduced to through a friend of mine, Austin Balsack, who was also a guest on an earlier episode. Uh, but I also see Justin all over my LinkedIn. So Justin, it's so good to finally talk to the person whose posts I see all the time. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to get to know you. I am excited to be here as well, Shireen. Thank you uh, for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I know you speak on a ton of podcasts um, and similar to the ones that I speak to, I feel like they're all business all the time, Uh, but we're going to get real personal on this one. Um, So I'd love to learn a little bit more about how your journey started and let's take it all the way back to where um, you grew up. What was your childhood like? Uh, Tell us more about that. Sure. Um, so I grew up in uh, an area outside of Cleveland, uh, Ohio, called University Heights, and I grew up in a, a middle-class family. My mother is an aerobic dancing instructor, so she teaches exercise classes for a living, and my father uh, is a salesman, and uh, he was a salesman for the same company for a little over 40 years, and he still sells today at age uh, 70. And um, I spent the first 10 years of my life in Cleveland Heights in a really diverse um, area that I, I absolutely loved. And it gave me exposure to diverse people, diverse religions. And it was just a great place to really grow up. Um, and when I was 10, I moved to kind of a farm area of Ohio called uh, Russell. And I spent the next eight years of my life in in Russell, um, going to West Geauga High School, population 4,000, not diverse, really small, um, just super different than where I was born. And so I got to see sort of two sides of Cleveland, you know, in just 16 or 18 years. Um, I attended Ohio State. I was I was in all of the advanced classes in, in high school, but I was a pretty poor student. I, I graduated with, you know, 2.8. Um, and, you know, the only university I could get into was Ohio State, but at the time you just sort of needed a pulse back then. It's a very good school now and it's significantly different in their acceptance criteria. Um, but back then, like that's just sort of what you did. And so um, I went to that university. I got a 1.9 my freshman year, um, and I was just really immature. Like I didn't go to class. I didn't understand responsibility. Like I just, I just didn't get it. And um, I was luck- lucky enough to get into the business school after turning my grades around my junior year. And from then on out, I was doing stuff that was really interesting for me. So I was doing business and presenting, speaking, like those are all things that get me really motivated and excited. And, um, you know, I graduated in four and a half years, went a little extra. uh, And then I transitioned into what my dad did, pharmaceutical sales. And I had just thought that I might, you know, work like my dad did, small town, you know, making some decent money. A wife, couple kids, nice house. Like those are all things that that my parents had. Um, but I failed miserably. I, I got a job in sales and I just got fired. My first three jobs. Um, and by the time I was 28, I had a terrible resume. I had three jobs, three firings. I don't think I ever made a sale or hit a quota, to be very honest. Yeah, it was interesting. And and you know, I got a call from a company called Zocdoc in New York City. And they were looking for an early sales hire. And I had this wildly exaggerated resume online on Monster, which I don't recommend, but I did because I didn't have any other choice, really. Um, And I I went to New York City in a bus from Allentown, Pennsylvania, where I lived, working a a job that I'd just been fired from. And uh, 
I don't know, something happened, something really interesting. Like I interviewed with really smart people. I had this incredible product. I was in this energetic city and my maturity level was starting to change. And for some reason, like all those things happened at once. I got the job. I made a sale my very first day and I spent the next five years there breaking all the sales records, being promoted multiple times and ran some pretty big teams at ZocDoc. Um, and after my, my five years there, I, I went to a company called Patient Pop in, in LA where I was hired as the VP of sales. And I spent five years there and I grew, grew it from $1 to just shy of $60 million in recurring revenue in about four and a half years. Um, so a little less than five. And about 18 months, no, no, excuse me, about 13 months ago, um, I walked away from that, uh, just exhausted. And um, for the last 13 months, I've been doing a lot of different things. I've been advising and consulting high growth businesses. Um, so I spend most of my time sitting on advisory boards, doing consulting work. And then also I've been tinkering, building courses, building my LinkedIn brand, making some small investments. And so now I am a tinkerer <laughs> and that's where my <laughs> life is. I love that. Well, okay. So I loved that entire background um, and I want to unpack a lot of it. Uh, it was fascinating to me. Um, the educator side of me is coming out. It's fascinating to me that um, you mentioned there's a time in your college where things turned around for you and you started getting your grades on a track. Um, and it was also around the same time where you started actually liking the classes you were taking. Um, so do you feel like back in college and then similarly when you found SockDoc, do you feel like the transition and the transformation you went through, did it have to do with your motivation? Did it have to do with the fact that you were actually around intelligent people or learning things that were actually interesting? Have you thought through those transformations at all? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think about it today in a lot of the work that I do. I am a firm believer that people do their best when they actually enjoy the day-to-day -day of what they do. And when I was in you know early classes and in early companies, I actually just didn't like to get out of bed and go do the stuff. Like that was that was something I just didn't enjoy. Whereas when I went to business school, the stuff was like getting up in front of my class, presenting, being on stage. I love that. I feed off that. It's why I like to be on stage today. Um, when I got to ZocDoc, it was interesting technology. I was passionate about it. I was passionate about the problem that it was solving. And so when I went out to make sales, I took it very personally when someone didn't want to buy it. I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> this, is the best <laughs> this is the best technology there is. It's going to change the way that we book doctor's appointments. You have to have this. And I, I often heard from my physician clients that the reason they bought it because it was because they saw how energetic I was about it, how motivated and, and passionate I was about the product. So yes, going, going back, uh, I've learned that unless I actually enjoy the day-to-day, -day, I am unlikely to be good at it. And that's why when people today say, you know, why don't you host a podcast? I don't like to. <laughs> I don't like to host a podcast. And so I know if I don't like something, it becomes a burden. And if it's a burden, I won't do it. And if I don't do it, then I'll quit. Yes. And so it, it's all connected to me. I love that. I That's super important. And I think a lot of people uh, can start reflecting on what is it that they actually want to invest their energy into? Because I'm, and I, I'm assuming this of you, but it seems similar. I'm very protective of where my energy goes because I know if I'm putting it in that direction, uh, I'm either going to love it or not like it at all. And I might as well use my time and energy and things that I actually want to do. So totally aligned there. Uh, let's talk about though, why do you feel like you know, you said that for a really long time, um, especially in school, you didn't even want to, you didn't even want to get out of your bed. Uh, you weren't excited to do things that you had to do. Why do you feel like you didn't discover things that genuinely interested you earlier in life? Or did you, and were they just out of school? Um, tell me more there. Because that's not the way that school works. I mean, at least it wasn't when, when I was growing up, um, you know, I went to high school in the nineties, um, and I don't know, you got fundamentals, right? Like you you learned about literature, which is great. I like to read and you learn math and I'm, I like math and things like that. But like, you don't actually learn how to build anything like outside of home ec, right? And I, I like to build and create and you don't learn how to 
build a business. You don't learn how to build a product. Now, maybe you do today. I, I haven't been to high school in a long time, um, but I'm, I'm creative. And that's why I call myself a tinkerer. And things that require, you know, fixing a, figuring out a puzzle and putting it back together or figuring out the best way to, you know, install a process or build a product. I, I love that stuff. Like I'll tinker with things for hours until I figure it out. I don't like when things are fed to me, expected to be memorized and then regurgitated back. That is just not that interesting. And that's just not how I learn really well. I'm a whiteboarder, right? Like when I'm, when I'm working in businesses, you know, I don't consume books all day long. I, I whiteboard stuff. We brainstorm, we figure it out. And that's always been my go-to. And that didn't exist in my high school. And, and maybe it did with, with other people. So I had, I had a hard time with, with my attention span. Yeah. Outside of your grades and your attention span, how else do you feel like you were impacted um, by this way of learning growing up? Wow. Um, that's a really great question. Uh, I think, I think I just never really felt, I never really felt like I had a lot of potential early on. Um, I think when I look back at myself, like I didn't have incredible aspirations. You know, I didn't picture living in a big city in an important role you know, doing hard, important work. I just never pictured that. I pictured something more routine and that's not a bad thing. It's just not how I envisioned my life or how I thought about my skill set or my opportunities. And when I got to business school and I got on stage, I could always beat the smarter, more well-prepared kids because I liked being on stage and they oftentimes didn't right? So they'd be giving their presentation. They had that fear, that stage fright. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, I think this guy or gal next to me is actually smarter than me and maybe did a better job at putting this presentation together, but I'm going to win this presentation because I'm going to get up and I'm going to be comfortable and I'm going to, you know, entertain the audience. And, and, um, I started recognizing that skills that you learn in school, like, you know, writing and math, those are important things. They're great foundations, but like, you know, it's not always the valedictorian who goes on to be the most successful person from their high school. It's often that middle tier person who wasn't, didn't find themselves until later in life when they really felt like, oh my gosh, here's something I'm really good at. And we didn't do this in high school and this is really exciting. And now I'm going to go chase this. I think I was just sort of a late bloomer in that way, where I, I started to figure out what I was really good at, you know, a little later in, in both school, but also a little later in my career. Yeah. How old were you um, when you first started recognizing, ah, oh, this is what I'm really good at. Um, and even if I don't have the good grades and yeah. whatnot, this is something I can thrive in. Yeah. I was probably 19 when I recognized that I could, um, win debates. Like I, I did debates at Ohio state. I could, I got straight A's on every presentation I ever gave, uh, at Ohio state in the business school. I graduated business school with a three, seven, five, you know, after having started out with a one nine. So I started to get a lot of confidence there. And that was really, really helpful um, in, in installing that for my schooling. What I didn't do really well was then transition into the workforce and find a role that aligned with the things that I was good at. And yeah. so it took me another seven years to find out what I was really great at in the workforce. And it was, I didn't care about selling pharmaceuticals or med devices and making a few extra pennies for Mr. CEO. What I did care about was taking a new technology that didn't exist and spreading it, getting it installed into customer bases and changing the way that people live their lives. And I feel very passionate about that to this day. And that was something I felt like I was doing when I got hired at ZocDoc at age 28. Yeah. And I, I'm going to come back to that because one of the things I talk to a lot of people about is how to find that role for them. And so many of their, them are focused on the skills, right? Oh, I can do sales or I can do marketing or I can do customer success. And then they get into those roles like you did early in your career, and then they don't thrive. And they internalize that as a skill set problem. Like they're not good at sales or they're not good at those different domains. But in reality, I found um, in a lot of people I work with, it's actually that they're just not in the right industry. They're not selling the right things. They're not working for the right people. Um, and I shouldn't say working for the right people, but they're not in environments that actually align with what they would thrive in. Um, have you found that with people you've worked with or people you've mentored? How do you 
advise people who are going through that dilemma themselves. Yeah, totally. Um, it's really interesting. Like I, I wrote something on LinkedIn the other day where I just basically said like the resume is dead. And, and a lot of people disagreed with me. And, you know, when I was hiring people into my businesses, you know, your natural inclination is to look for relevant work experience, right? Or, oh, this person did something similar to this in a previous company or a previous life. And, and what I found was that I was looking more for the me. And, and I don't say that in an arrogant way. I just, I just mean that I was looking for people that had passion for what we were doing. I would actually take passion and motivation over, you know, experience. And so I hired for the intrinsics. And I always wanted to find someone that said, hey, you know, Justin, I came to, to ZocDoc to interview or I came to Patient Pop to interview because I'm obsessed with what you guys are doing. I'm obsessed with your mission. Like this is the one company I want to work for. And I look at their resume. There's not a whole lot of experience that matches up. I'll always take a chance on that person because I believe that motivation, obsession, excitement, those are all precursors to what I believe will be a really great career. It's when you're looking for money, title, the right story, where you know, you're average. And so I think a lot about my, my experience in, in my previous uh, you know, kind of gr growing up. And I, I think about that when I, when I work with other folks. So I, I, I truly believe that makes a difference. Yeah, of course. I mean, you also experienced it firsthand. So absolutely, I aligned there. And for me, when I hire, it's definitely passion and motivation and interest and in obviously what we're building, but also the way someone thinks. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many people I've, how many times I've hired people that had no relevant experience in the industry that we're in, or even with our type of client, but they think about things in very interesting ways and they have very strong frameworks um, and they have multiple mental models that they're able to recycle through to approach different situations and circumstances. So I trust that that person, no matter what life <laughs> throws at them, no mm -hmm. matter what the business throws at them, they'll find their way out and they'll take other people with them. Um, that's my biggest hiring desire. Yeah, totally. That's that's the fix it, you know, guy or gal, right? Like I, I remember I, I kind of got that label at ZocDoc. They moved me across the country four different times to go fix broken territories or launch territories that didn't exist. And so I started to realize that there's a there's a brand there, right? Like if you can figure out how to find things that are broken or something that doesn't exist that needs to be built and you can just muscle your way through it because you enjoy it, like that is a skill in and of itself. And that skill is not taught in high school. That skill isn't taught in college. That skill is taught when you're thrown a project in the real world and it's like, hey, figure this out or you don't have a job. And so, and so I, I don't know, I thrive in that environment and I try and find other people that thrive in that environment as well. Cause I know that as they grow in their careers, I can deploy them into unique circumstances that you might, that might not seem relevant at the time. Take someone in sales, put them in customer success, take a CS person, put them in marketing, take a marketing person and go have them sit in the engineering group and figure something interesting out. I, I love that. I think that, that people are army knives like that. And they're, if they're motivated and smart, they, they will figure things out. Yeah, um, I am so aligned with that. Uh, you don't, I mean, this is our first time talking, so you don't necessarily know what I do yet. But one of my biggest things that I have been just speaking up about is thinking for yourself and taking learning into your own hands. And Justin, you already talked about this earlier, but you don't like things being fed to you. Um, you want to decide what how you want to see the world. You want to decide what's worth looking into and what's worth learning. And you know, what perspectives to learn those things from, because there's so many different sides to a specific topic, right? Um, so everything that Edbo does right now is we actually, it's launch week for us this week. So it's been awesome, but we literally launched one of the products we're building called Personal Learning by Edbo yesterday. And literally the entire desire we have with this product is to help people take learning into their own hands and learn everything they want and start paying more attention to the way they think and then the way they problem solve and the way they decision make instead of just trying to learn one-off skills like how to run a uh, email marketing campaign, right? I mean, those skills are obviously very useful and those tactics are very useful. But when you understand things like first principles thinking, when you can see a problem, break it down and know, well, these are the tactics that can work because these are the intentions that I'm trying to drive with this problem. 
that is so much more useful and frankly universal, no matter where you end up in your job or career in life, than just knowing how to run one very specific email marketing campaign for a specific type of audience. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think those critical thinking skills are so important. I, I can recall early in my career at Patient Pop when we didn't really have a customer success leader, just having the, the co-CEOs look at me and say, how do we build this onboarding program? And I thought to myself, well, hell, I've never done this before. Um, but I bet you I can go figure it out if I go talk to a bunch of customers, talk to a bunch of people that work at our company, understand the common challenges, like think about unique solutions, run tests, figure out what works best. Like I'm a very systematized person when it comes to solving problems. And so I can, I can relate to what you just said. Yeah. You know, someone asked me the other day, um, I was actually writing a LinkedIn post on it right before we hopped on. Um, someone was asking me, Hey, Shereen, you're always talking about thinking better, but what does that mean? Like, what does, how do you know you're thinking better? And I straight up told them, you know, you're thinking better when you have this confidence that you'll figure it out. That no matter what problem you're handed, you have this way of thinking, you have frameworks, you have this conviction in yourself that you'll figure it out. And it's okay if you've never done it before. So you just, that example just totally reminded me of that. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I like to think that I could, and, and I hope this doesn't happen, but I like to think that I could lose a lot of the money that I've saved up over the course of my life and be thrust into a, a very difficult situation and rebuild my life from scratch. I, I like to think that I could do that. Whether I can is, is you know, hopefully does not remain to be seen because I wouldn't want to be in that situation. Yeah, that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I like to have that confidence and that, that keeps me, you know, feeling creative and feeling like the time that I'm spending is worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, it's freaking liberating to know that you can get yourself out of a really shitty situation. There's no doubt about that. Um, okay, cool. I want to go back to something you said, because it's super important. Um, you know, you said 19, age 19 was really the first time when you started realizing, oh, shoot, I'm good at debate. I'm good at these presentations, right? And you started finding something that you can really hold on to and leverage. But you know, let's say age five is really when school starts. I mean, it starts much earlier now, but from five to 19, those 14 years, I mean, that is a long time to feel like you're not, you don't have potential or you're not living up to a specific potential. That's a long time to feel like you might not have something to offer. Um, and maybe I'm being too intense by saying that, but I really want to unpack what those early years were like for you um, when you weren't doing well in school, yet success for you was very much defined, I'm assuming, by you know the way your parents were living, right? Being in sales, having this career, being a small town, um, having that successful um, sales job. Uh, what was that like for you? And as you entered your 20s, mm -hmm. were you know, did you have to unlearn a lot of like self-limiting beliefs that you had probably from those earlier years? You know, gosh, I, th I think the real answer is I, I don't recall the unlearning process. I do later in life, which I can, I can touch on, but I think from, from five to, to, to 19 was really interesting for me. So from, from five to 15, I was generally a pretty heavy kid. So I was, I was out of shape. I got picked on a lot. I was also really emotional. And like, I get that from my father. Like, oh, I'm definitely a guy who cries on a regular basis. Like I'm, I'm an emotional guy. Like I have very high and low emotions and I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed of that because I think it has a lot of positives. Um, and so I got teased a lot, right? Like I got teased a lot in high school, especially early on overweight, emotional, you know, didn't really fit in. And then, um, I think where I found, some belief before 19 was I decided to get in shape when I was like 16 or 17. And I got in shape uh, with the help of an, an in-shape buddy of mine. And I also found that I was relatively f funny, I guess, for lack of a better term. I, I could make people laugh, um, you know, in school. And so I started focusing on things that, that got a reaction. And so, you know, I, I got in better shape. And then so I started thinking that being funny also meant acting out. So I got in a lot of trouble when I was in high school. I was suspended a few times. Um, you know, I got caught cheating, which, you know, gave me an F on my report card for a whole year, which was really, really difficult and eventually kept me out of the colleges that I was, I was looking at. And so I was doing stupid things to stand out as a young man. 
And you know, I had piercings and all this different stuff, all, all this sort of trying to be a, a rebel and, and stand out. And so those were things that I was doing because I thought they, they made me feel really good. Um, I think the thing that I had to unlearn eventually, and I tell a lot of young people this when I, when I bring them into a company or business, is in school, both high school and college, being lethargic, um, slouching in your chair, rolling your eyes. That's what, that's what cool kids do. And I'm using cool kids in quote here. Um, it's the opposite when you get into business. When you get into business, it's the person asking the most questions. It's the person who's working really hard. It's the person who's extremely successful. Those are the cool people in business. And I started to look around and see other folks, friends of mine, peers of mine, accelerating their careers much faster than me. And I was like, wow, like being a jerk is not the way to go. Right, trying to be funny all the time is not going to help me accelerate my career, and so I think it was just looking and being like, I'm falling behind all my friends. That was really a motivating factor in starting to unlearn some of that behavior. Ooh, yeah, that hit close to home. I um, in high school, I was the kid who <laughs> I was like working since I was 14, kind of out of like out of desperation, out of need. I had to, you know, I, I grew up in Palo Alto. I was not affluent. Um, we moved there from Pakistan when I was seven. And so my mom, my brother and I were growing up in this like very affluent neighborhood where all my friends, the quote unquote, you know, the cool kids, they were going to summer camps. Um, they had these like you know, they were playing varsity sports um, and they had all this stuff on their resume. And so for me, because I couldn't afford those extracurriculars, I just started working. But then I became the kid who wasn't taking that sixth AP class um, because I was, you know, working at a Kmart um, and I had to like leave school early. Um, And I can't tell you how many times, you know, I had to miss parties and I had to miss like the random lunch, like sports leagues or whatever we had at our school, because I was choosing to things that were on, I was choosing to do things that were uncool, but then those same things when I got into college. And then obviously when I you know started my career, those same things were the ones that were highly, you know, sought out for, um, having a shit ton of internships, having all this experience, that's what people looked for. So it's weird and bizarre how different, the definitions of success in high school and college are then obviously, you know, what we're expected to have in the real world. Yeah, it's totally. And, and you and I have some, you know, similar, but different paths. And, and I'm just like you, my dad dropped me off at McDonald's the day I turned 14, 7, 11, 95. I remember he dropped me off and I got a job there the very first day I turned 14 and I got fired for like stealing a blueberry muffin. And then I got banned and oh gosh, it was like everything that I did was, was, was a disaster during those, 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 uh, those teenage years. Uh, I look back on it with no regrets because like, I'm a, I'm a big person. I'm a big believer of like, everything that you do shapes, shapes your story. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be sitting here having this podcast with you if I hadn't stolen that blueberry muffin. Like that's, that's how I think about life is that it's a series of events that leads down a very distinct path and you get an opportunity to create that path. So I'm happy for it. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I hear that. Um, okay. So talk to me now, you know, you mentioned that you're um, building courses. And I'm assuming, you know, you've got quite a few people that you're mentoring. Um, when you see people that have recently graduated that are entering sales or just entering tech on the business side, right. Uh, in general, um, what are some, what are some things you're noticing as far as either like misconceptions or misinformation about what it means to enter tech as a 22-year-old? What are you noticing and what would you advise against to those people? Yeah, I think the the first thing that I would advise is potentially before you enter tech, like take a step back and, and try and understand the tools at your disposal. So when I graduated school in 03, I mean, the internet was still sort of in its infancy, right? I, I remember that, you know, I had like a, the first BlackBerry that came out or, or, and it took me a while to get that. So there weren't a whole lot of tools at my, I didn't have the HubSpot blog to go read and learn how to be a better salesperson. I couldn't log on to LinkedIn. Like there, were, there was very little of that back at, back in 2003. And so I see now when kids are, are coming into the workforce in 2020, 2021, there's so many tools. 
And with tools at your disposal, before you even think about getting into tech, I would almost recommend that someone take a few months and create, just create things, create a product, create a service, create a blog, create a podcast, create something using the tools at your disposal. Because to me, learning is accelerated when you depend on yourself. And I think that if you spend even one, two, three, six months creating right out of school, you will understand how challenging it is to build something. And so when you leap from that into technology, when you're entering a company or you're entering the workforce, I think you have um, a much deeper understanding of how difficult it is to build a really big company. And I think when you have that context, you work harder, you work smarter, you work better cross-functionally. I think there are a bunch of different benefits um, from trying to build something on your own. And so the first piece of advice I, I give young people is like, hey, before you run right out of college, and, and if you're like in a financial circumstance that, that doesn't allow you to do that, I totally get that. I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush here, but like if you have a little bit of runway or you thinking about taking a gap year or whatever it might be, make sure that you're building and creating because even if you ultimately don't end up building something big or creating something that takes off, I think the learning experiences that come from that will benefit you greatly inside of technology. So that, yeah. that, that's number one. Um, and then the, the second one I would say is the, the biggest misconception is that, um, you know, tech is like Silicon Valley, like the show, right? Like that it's all fun and games and that it's real goofy. And, and like, I don't know, I, I've worked at two pretty serious businesses um, where we worked real hard and we worked really long hours and um, we were really committed and it wasn't quite as you know, silly or funny as a lot of the, you know, shows and books make it out to be. And I think, I think people think it's a lot of beer and puppies and, and ping pong, and it's not always that. And so I just let people you know, know that. Yeah, for sure. So regarding the first piece of advice, I think it's so monumental and crucial. If you can definitely go build something and go create something, anything, it could be as, as Justin mentioned, like it could be simply launching a podcast, um, which is not as simple once you start doing it. Um, so, and I, and I, and I agree it's because it does, once you do enter any type of company, um, yes, it helps you work smarter, work better, work better cross-functionally, as Justin mentioned. But I also think along those lines, it helps you develop a level of empathy that I see a lot of recent grads and not actually, it doesn't even have to do with age. I see people of all ages lacking if they haven't built or created or gotten that experience before. And so by having that exposure, when you come into different conversations, you can bring that understanding and that empathy with you. And it's actually going to help you build way better relationships with the people you work with, the founders for sure. I mean, as a founder myself, uh, I remember last year I hired someone straight out of college. Um, she, I think was 21 when we hired her, she graduated from LMU, but her empathy was so deep because she had chosen to graduate high school early. She had spent a year just building and creating and interning. And then while at LMU, she had chosen, um, you know, to spend many of much of her time just like building and creating new initiatives. And so when we hired her, she didn't have the skill set we were looking for. She didn't have the experience we were looking for. We weren't looking to hire a recent grad, um, but she totally, I think I hired her in 72 hours. Like we have a three-step interview process and it was done in 72 hours and it was accelerated for her because she captured my heart with her level of understanding and her, the context that she brought with her and her level of empathy. Um, so I, I completely agree with you, Justin. That's super important. And then going to the second point, yeah, it's definitely not all unicorns and rainbows in the startup world. It's definitely fun. It's fun as hell if you're working at a company you can get behind and love the people you work with. Um, but yeah, it's hard and you've got you to put in the work and it, it's major lifts all the time. Um, so I, I'm with you there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think... Um... I think maybe a second point on on startups is that you can make a bigger impact if you ask for permission. 
And that is, I think, another misconception that a lot of people have when they join in, where it's like they're really focused on their role and they don't understand that everyone inside of a startup, and when I say everyone, I don't mean necessarily every single person, but most of the folks there are, are you know, playing above their head, right? They're trying to figure it out. Everyone is trying to figure it out. The executives are in the room trying to figure it out. The, the managers in the room trying to figure it out. And your voice matters. Your opinion matters. The things that you discover matter. And I would always just recommend that people raise their hand and they share opinions. They share it with um, different department leaders. They share it with the CEO. They get time in office hours with the executive team and they share, share, share. Because I've had frontline employees fresh out of school come into my office and say, did you know X? And I didn't know it. And by knowing it, I was able to make a better choice. And so you can have a, a major impact inside of a technology business, regardless if it's your first day or your 1,000th day. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, I want to go back to when you first met the folks over at SoftDoc, right? You're coming from uh, a background of a not-so-successful sales career. You've been fired multiple times. Your resume is looking disastrous in your words. Um, and now you're here talking to these folks at SoftTalk. So what, you know, what about you do you feel like made them take a chance on you despite your background? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the truth of the matter is my resume reflected a much more successful uh, background than I, <laughs> I, tr I truly had, but here's what mattered. Uh, Cyrus, Oliver, Nick, Netta, and Ryan were the five people. There are four executives in the head of sales. And, um, and I wanted that job so badly that even though most of what was on my resume was not true, and again, I do not recommend that, even though I think all resumes are false to begin with, um, I knew the false information, forwards, backwards, up, down, left, right, I could walk through all the calculations because I had studied it so hard. Because when I wanted to apply myself, I could. And I could, you know, come across as, you know, someone who's very successful when I wasn't at that time. But I had worked so hard just to prepare for what was essentially a casting role, right? Like I felt like I was I was in an actor's chair, like, you know, trying to act for this role. And that's essentially what I was doing, but I acted my ass off. And uh, because I really wanted that that job. When I got to the city and I saw you know, the old building in Chinatown and I saw the people running around in the streets with energy and I saw everyone eating pizza and drinking beer at nine o'clock at night going through this interview. I was like so amped up that I just wanted to shine. And so I nailed my stuff as much as I could. And I think they saw that preparation. I think they saw what would eventually become a cornerstone of my brand, which is I was probably an hour early because I'm always early. I'm always on time. I think they saw that. I think that really resonated with them. Um, I took a bus two hours to interview at night and then turn around and go home. I think they saw that as like, you know, someone committed to the process. I think there were a bunch of things that they were testing me on um, that I, I just happened to pass because I was so, so excited. Yeah, I... I, I mean, you were faking it till you were making it, but at the same time, you weren't. Um, you were embodying really your own spirit and bringing that to the table and making sure that you weren't going to be defined by just your resume, no matter how fake good it looked. At the end of the day, for you, it was about showing up and making sure that you were seen as more than just Justin Welsh on a piece of paper. Um, you were seen as what you can do and what you can bring to the table. That's right. And, and listen, again, like I'm not saying that that was a, the right ethical thing to do. But then again, I've never interviewed someone in the bottom 50% of their sales team. So resumes in and of themselves are pieces of false paper. They're the best chance or the best opportunity to tell your story in a way that makes you seem excellent even though we know that most salespeople miss quota, I very rarely interview someone that says they did. So when I wanted that job, I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going for it. And it was uh, I'm glad I did. That's awesome. So you had mentioned, um, you know, you, at, I mean, of course, we all do at a certain point in your career, you get tired. And um, for you, there was a point where you chose to, you know, walk away. Um, but talk to me, you know, as you're building your sales career, going from SockDoc to Patient Pop, and 
uh, building these companies essentially from the ground up. Um, what was that journey like for you? And that's a very loaded question, but specifically focused around, you know, dealing with mental health, dealing with burnout, dealing with exhaustion, were those things you expected uh, going into these careers? Um, yeah, tell me more about that. No, it, it certainly wasn't something that I had considered. And because it wasn't like it was, when I joined ZocDoc, it was 2009, and mental health was still had a pretty it was it had a different stigma at that point in time than it does today when we're much more open and transparent about it. Um, so no, I hadn't considered it. I think what ultimately ended up happening at ZocDoc in my career um, was that I was really successful and I worked really hard and I also played really hard. And that, you know, burning the candle at both ends, right? And I think that that tired me out. You know, New York City is a hustler's place, right? And so we hustled all the time. And um, that, that, that really ended up burning me out. I moved across the country continuously. ZocDoc was a place where it was really hard to keep your job. They were known for that back then. It's, it's different now from my understanding, but back then it was like people were getting termed left and right. So it's like high anxiety. Like I think I, I, I suffered a few panic attacks, albeit small ones. Um, but yeah, I was just super, super, I couldn't wait to get out of the field and stop selling and start running teams. Cause I thought that would be a big, you know, like I thought that would be, I thought that would be the big like relief. And of course I, I was silly to think that. And, um, uh, so that, that happened at, at ZocDoc, but I think where it probably really happened was patient pop. I, I took a, I was a stretch hire, right? They, they, had, they were hiring their first VP of sales. I was 32. I think I had managed teams of 20 or 25, but they, they took a stretch, like your typical stretch. And, and usually hires of my role make it about 16 or 17 months before they get replaced. Yeah. And I, I went for almost five years. And I think that, you know, I got so tethered to the success of that business where I believed the success of that business was the success of my brand. Mm -hmm. And so missing a number was like being stabbed in the heart. Like it just hurts so bad. And obviously I've never been stabbed, so I don't know if that's true, but um, you, you get my, you get my metaphor here where it's like, it was really painful and I took it really personally. And when you're constantly stressed out from morning until night, you have coping mechanisms. And, you know, part of my coping mechanisms were sort of starting to reenact some of the behaviors of when I was younger, where um, I started eating more. So I was gaining weight. I went from like 180 to 240 over like three years, or two, excuse me, 220, excuse me, about 40 pounds more over, over two or three years. And so I got really out of shape again. Um, I started, I started kind of not acting out, but I, I, my temper certainly got worse and my ability to keep a level head got worse. And, um, that was from all the stress that was weighing on, on, I think my chest, um, definitely drank too much alcohol. Uh, that, that became sort of a, a crutch for me, uh, maybe three years ago or so. Um, and so all of that together started to really wear on me. And when I look at pictures of myself, you can see it. It's, it's evident. It's, it's completely obvious. And I just recognized that if I didn't make a change, that that was going to be a really bad ending. And so a lot of what I just mentioned there were the drivers of, of deciding to, to leave that job. Did you have someone in your life helping you recognize those things were happening or was it a self realization? Well, I mean, I, I would be silly to say that I, I didn't recognize it or realize it. Um, recognizing something and um, rationalizing often go together. <laughs> so, you know, you can recognize and then begin to rationalize. But I've got an awesome support system in, in my wife, Jennifer, um, who worked with me at ZocDoc for many years. And um, yeah, she's definitely uh, outspoken uh, when she, uh, you know, sees something like that happening. And so I'm, I'm really thrilled and lucky to have, to have her. Um, so yes, the, those things, people, people like my wife, um, and my friends are, and, and by the way, my coworkers, I think probably my, my CEOs, uh, Travis and Luke, I think they both saw that 
and we had a really open and transparent relationship and they could tell that I was tired. And so I never feared getting fired. I never feared having an awkward conversation. I just said, guys, I'm tired and I can't do this anymore. And I gave him a pretty big heads up. And, and because of that, like that relationship is so sterling that five months ago, I actually rejoined patient pop as the interim chief revenue officer, um, as they went out and raised their series C to help spell the CEOs and spent the last five months doing that because our relationship is so strong. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Um, and that's great to hear when, you know, when you talk about obviously the feelings, both, you know, being at ZocDoc, obviously, and building your sales career and then leading as a sales leader, which you did at ZocDoc as well, but, mm-hmm. but then certainly at Patient Pop. Um, you know, obviously being in tech, I, I've gone through this. My I've seen my husband go through this, especially when, you know, they were sa- uh, selling his last company and going through the acquisition process. I remember just in those like 10 months alone, you know, I saw that weight gain. I saw that anger. I saw, you know, just that like you're so zoned in and you're definitely tethering your identity to the success of your company, right? And when you, especially, I mean, that patient pop, you grew that business from the first dollar. So, you know, it's your baby. Um, Do you feel like those feelings though are just inevitable? Like, is there another way uh, to build and not experience that? I, I get asked that all the time and I have my own opinion, but would love to hear it from you being having had your experience and now, of course, starting your own consultancy and whatnot. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's it's inevitable to a degree. I think that if you're going to work for a high growth startup that goes from you know even zero to five million or even three million, right? Or gosh, I guess I guess any high growth startup, um, <laughs> yeah. there's there's going to be um, you know anxiety, uh, stress, like that, that comes with work. And, um, but I think the way to keep it under control is to recognize when it's time to invest in yourself outside of your company. And and what I mean by that is if I could redo my five years at patient pop about two years into my role, I would have hired an external coach. I would have hired someone who had been on that roller coaster before. Um, because I didn't really have anyone to talk to about it. I mean, I had friends, um, but you know, your friends are often telling you what you want to hear and trying to be nice. And inside of the business, everyone was, it was kind of everyone's first time growing a business that big. It was the CEO's first time growing a business that big. So, you know, they, they, while they're awesome sounding boards, you know, they, they also hadn't been there. And I just wish I would have had someone who had been there and experienced that. And, you know, I was so focused on work and the team and you know the the vision and the mission that I didn't pause to think about that. And I think that would have been money and time really well spent. Yeah. I as you're thinking about the next I hate saying step in your career, but the next stage, the next phase, the next evolution, whatever you want to call it, as you think about the next few years and how you want to spend your time, um, what are the feelings that come up that you want to experience every day that you, yeah, I'll start yeah. there. I want to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want with my time. That is my goal. And I know that sounds really silly. Um, but that's my goal. Like I, I believe that time is the greatest currency that we have and I've made a lot of money. I've made very little money before. Um, I cannot recall being significantly happier when I was making more. Um, but I'm happiest when I'm enjoying experiences and when I'm enjoying experiences with my wife. And in order to do that, you have to control your time and your career And so 13 months ago, a few things happened. I got tired. I walked away from my role. I had a friend go through a really bad accident um, where he uh, lost the use of his legs. That that gave me a lot of perspective around just life and, 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 and time. And I decided that I wanted to spend my time doing things with the people that I enjoy 
and doing the things that I enjoy. And those things are things like traveling, going out and trying great new restaurants, going and doing cultural things, museums, like we, my family loves that. And so I thought to myself, how can I bet on myself outside of a normal nine to five world and turn that bet into revenue? And so that's why I've been tinkering. And you see me a lot on LinkedIn. And part of what I'm doing is I'm building the foundation for my business. And I've been able to turn that following and that audience into a really repeatable, growing business. And I do it in a relatively automated way that allows me to spend my time going into my 40s with, uh, with my wife doing things that we really enjoy. Yeah, I love that. Well, I am excited <laughs> for all the things that you're tinkering with. I hope that they attract lots of abundance and prosperity, as I'm sure they will. Um, and you get to spend the time doing all the things that you want to be doing. <laughs> um, how can people get in touch with you? Um, how can they follow along? Of course, Justin is on LinkedIn, and you should absolutely follow him on LinkedIn. Uh, but outside of that, how can people keep up with what you're up to, Justin? Yeah, there are, there are two ways. Um, if people are interested in my advising and consulting business, they can go to my website, which is theofficialjustin.com. And I'm also really leaning in, and you may have seen this on LinkedIn, but like I truly believe that building a personal brand has been the best thing that I've done for my career. And I'm just shocked by the unique opportunities, the revenue, the speaking events that it, it has helped me uncover or get into. And so I'm working on a new project called How to Personal Brand. And it is just howtopersonalbrand.com. And it is coming soon in the next 90 days. And you can go sign up to learn more about when it launches. I love that. I'm very happy to hear that because I've spoken up about personal branding and the importance of it so much. And it's crazy to me that this isn't something that is more talked about. So Kudos to you for obviously kickstarting this. Um, everyone that's listening, definitely check it out. Um, as I like to say, uh, my biggest you know mission in life is to help people become self-reliant and empower them with the tools they need to learn whatever they want. And so when it comes to personal branding, the leverage you get to create by having a brand, by knowing what you stand for, by recognizing there are so many speaking opportunities out there. There are so many paid speaking opportunities out there um, for you to really be able to own your career. Um, and if you want to leave your nine to five, there are very real lucrative opportunities once you start taking personal brands seriously. So I'm a huge advocate. Justin, once it comes out, obviously I'll be following along as well. Uh, but thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And thank you so much for doing the work that you do. Shireen, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.